it's uh, details and just obsessing over those details, right? If you want to do a project of this scale, uh, you need to be able to deliver on it. So ambition without execution is pointless, right? So uh, obsessing over the details isn't optional. So really setting the vision was one part, but honestly, 80% of my time went through thinking through you know, the minutiae of execution and making sure this thing actually worked and was valuable to our customers in reality. Welcome to today's episode of View from the Top by ADP List, where I sit with world-class design and product leaders to learn from their experiences building and leading today's most successful companies. I'm Felix, co-founder at ADP List, and I'm super excited to welcome our guest today, Cameron Warboys, Design Director at WISE. Hey, Felix. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks for coming. So WISE needs little to no introduction. Founded in 2011 as TransferWISE, the company helps facilitate cross-border payments. Today, WISE serves over 16 million customers and process over 50 billion euros in cross-border payments. Cameron led the design team behind the WISE account. He and his team work on everything from the core experience of the WISE product to new industry USPs like WISE Interest. And recently, they launched the famous WISE new design system, which I know a lot of our community fell in love with. So I'm super excited to pick your brain here today, Cameron. Now, let's begin this conversation by understanding a little bit about your journey and your story. Cameron, can you take one or two minutes to share a high-level arc on your career, on how you became the director of design at WISE and what you're doing at WISE today? Yeah, sure thing. Um... To be honest, I'd say it's less of an arc and, and more of a squiggly line. Uh, if, I, if I draw back to the beginning, I studied architecture in college, which looking back was, was great prep for what I do. But my career wasn't necessarily planned. And I also don't think product design in particular had this very well mapped career path when I started. I just started making websites and other pieces of graphic design work. and that kind of became a career. You know, things grew naturally. I got better as a designer. And every year I felt I was kind of able and better to secure jobs and better jobs every year. So I think, you know, I spent the first part of my career in startups, freelancing, and then working for Huge, which was awesome, without a doubt. Like that agency was an amazing place to cut your teeth uh, and learn from some of the industry's best. Then I think probably... The most critical moment was when I moved out to the US. So I spent about five and a half years there working between San Francisco and then LA. And that's when I think I really grew from being kind of like a good lead into being a director. And I, I saw firsthand how orgs like Apple just obsessed over the details and how much, you know, and how they basically shipped work at scale. And yeah, at that point, I was really just looking for jobs both in the US and, and in the UK. And wise just jumped out as a massive opportunity you know i've, I've used a product for what, like eight years now um, which is pretty crazy uh and i always liked it on a functional level but i never came away thinking like wow that's so well designed like i just love the design of that product uh so i was looking at these offers and i think you know my whole career i've just asked these really simple questions of where can i make the best work and, and where can i have the most impact based on my skill set and in that instance, WISE came out top. So I wouldn't say there's some grand plan. I think it's always just been quite a simple philosophy of 
go where I can make good work and go where I can have impact and, you know, just keep trying to get better and keep scaling myself up. And, you know, I, I'd say I'm not near the top yet. I've still got a lot to learn, but I'm really kind of proud of, of what we've been able to do so far. Wow, that is quite a career. And so, you know, before we dive into your work at WISE, which I think is amazing, you, know, you talk about designing at agencies and startups and big tech. Um, you know, I would just these three different places, agency, startup and big tech, like what was the most important thing that you took away from agencies? And do you think it's necessary for designers to, to go through an agency uh, career as a part of, you know, their, their long lasting journey as a designer? I don't think it's necessary, but I think it's definitely really good, especially in your early stages. I think what agencies offer is a breadth of problems and work which you can do on smaller cycles. So, you know, typical project lengths like six months. So one week you might be, you know, one quarter you might be working on a new experience for an airline and the next quarter you're working, you know, on a bank for some uh, fintech. So, it, you know, I think that diversity is really critical to learning. Uh, so, yeah, I would definitely recommend it, but I wouldn't say it's necessary in any stretch. Gotcha. And so let's, let's, you know, talk about why, where, where you're at right now, you know, since you have joined, you have done the rebranding of wise, redesigned the apps homepage and even launched an ego card, which is all amazing and impressive. Um, ADQ is a customer of wise, by the way. Oh, nice. And so doing a pro yeah, uh, doing a project as big as the recent rebrand, you know, could you share with us what was the thought process behind the recent design system revamp? After just a two years after the rebrand to Wise, you know, what what triggered the rebrand exercise, what triggered the rebrand process? And and yeah, could you share a little bit more about this story? Yeah, 100%. So I think, you know, as a company, we've been on this journey to define ourselves and also the evolving nature of our business for a while. One big step forward was that name change, you know, transfer wise became wise. And obviously another massive leap is this rebrand. And, you know, these two pieces and many other pieces of work all draw back to this really single truth that WISE has become so much more than transfers. You know, today our customers spend with us, they receive and, and now grow all kinds of money. So, you know, as a company, we're all in on the WISE account. So really the goal of that project was showing people who we are as a company, but most importantly, showing them where we're going, you know, giving us a system to serve more people in more places and, you know, do it as an account rather than a transfer app. Wow, that, that definitely sounds like an exciting, exciting journey. And so talking about this rebranding exercise for WISE today, you know, could you walk us through how many phases did it take for this to even happen? What was you know, some of the initial points, right? So when we look at Airbnb, you know, Airbnb did an incredible redesign and branding as well in 2016. And so I'm wondering if you could share, you know, what was the process behind that? How many phases did it go through before the final product? Yeah, yeah, Airbnbs was so good. And it was funny how people kind of went after it when it first launched and now it's on every single slide as like one of the best brands out there. Um, so yeah, in the fullness of time, that work really was successful. But I guess in, in our context, uh, the total time was a series of about four projects. It took a year and a half, close to two years. Pretty much all of that, we were working side by side with our branding agency, uh, Ragged Edge. You know, they're, they're literally world-class. I can't recommend them enough. You know, 
I'm thinking about this. I think, so it started as a strategy and concept phase. And then when I think about it more practically, most of it was just figuring out how to make it real. We set this goal to be super ambitious. So when you kind of got that concept, it was like, oh shit, how do we make this work? Um, so, you know, I fundamentally believe that execution is everything. And when you operate at our scale, going down for a second or blocking some critical flow, it's just not optional. It can cost us millions. So we really shifted as early as possible to working in sprints around each of the foundations of the design system. So, you know, we just progressively work through them, color, type, illustration, flags, components, and so on. And then I think working in that model week by week, you just see it get more real. You see the execution get better. And by the end of it, you know, for quite a long process, you know, we had this really amazing design system and it was less of a brand concept, which is, I think, where some people fall down when they're doing these types of things. We've got 42 product teams who work autonomously and probably like another 12 easily in marketing. So it was very much the system first approach that allowed us to uh, launch to 16 million people in 170 countries uh, in one big bang. So I think that was really it is just, you know, strategy, concept, get clear on that upfront and then just spend as much time as possible making it real and executing on the finest and smallest details. Wow, that, that sounds like an incredible uh, long, but also intense and exciting uh, journey over the past uh, one and a half years. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious, what is the, you know, throughout this process, what is some of the, th what are some of the things where you find, you know, was something that you, you wouldn't expect you know, when you go through different design processes as well, you know, because I would imagine from what we've seen in public is that WISE really took, you know, the, the time and the effort to research on different cultures and different, different countries and currencies and came out with this beautiful rebrand. But throughout this process, what were some things that really stood out to you uh, that you just weren't expecting when you were about to go into it? It's a good question. I think the thing which I was probably not expecting most is how quickly people would get the ideas behind the design, right? Uh, I, I, we'd spent a lot of time talking about how we could be of the world and, and made for the world, but you always worry as a designer that your concepts are cool to designers, but not cool to non-designers or not understood by non-designers. And I think that was definitely something which was playing in my mind in the background. But since we launched, uh, so many of our customers have understood, you know, the reasons behind it and also seen little bits of themselves in the system. Uh, you know, I had somebody who, funny enough, was a designer, but uh, he came up to me at an event and was like, the type which you actually used in the sign, he knew where the exact sign was we had in our inspiration in India. So it's those types of stories which I was like, wow uh that's really cool as hell so yeah i think that was definitely the unexpected part that i didn't expect people to get the concepts behind it as quickly as they did and i didn't expect the design community for it to resonate with them and, and really this global audience see themselves in it so yeah that was really rewarding wow that that is quite quite an insane story there for someone who just really recognize it based on their culture as well and so when you you know, touching a little bit more deeper into this topic of, you know, rebranding story of WISE, what 
what were some of the most important lessons that you think you took away from designing this whole system? Because there's 40 over teams that you have to lead and collaborate with. Um, from First of all, from a branding standpoint, you know, from a design branding standpoint, what did you learn from it? But also from, you know, just working with so many stakeholders, you know, what did you learn from these two areas? Yeah, so I think two things jump out, to be honest. The first would be, just like be ambitious, right? Um, set the goal of, of making something really stand out because, you know, whilst scary, I think a lot of the time people don't recognize that ambition will rally people behind your project, right? And actually making something which is a standout piece of work is, is great for the bottom line. If you study a lot of tech companies, you know, a key growth mechanism is word of mouth, right? Creating a product which is so good that you decide to tell a friend. So if you set the goal of making something which is worth talking about, it becomes significantly easier to inspire all of these teams into action versus force them. You know, we work in this autonomous environment, so people pick what they work on. So, you know, you really have to focus on being ambitious enough that you actually inspire people to, to join and be part of this project. A, a good example is uh, one of the developers who worked on uh, a lot of our 3D illustrations in product actually came across from our product security team to, to build those illustrations in code. And it wouldn't, they wouldn't have done that if they didn't think the work was really cool and they weren't passionate about trying to solve this particular problem. So I think that's really important is to share your work, be ambitious. And then I think secondly, it's uh, details and just obsessing over those details, right? If you want to do a project of this scale, uh, you need to be able to deliver on it. So ambition without execution is pointless, right? So uh, obsessing over the details isn't optional. So really setting the vision was one part, but honestly, 80% of my time went through thinking through, you know, the minutiae of execution and making sure this thing actually worked and was valuable to our customers in reality. Wow, Cam, you know, I can, I can really sense that, that part when you talk about you had worked in Apple and how obsessed they were with detail, how you have brought that essence, uh, you know, into your career and your work, even at WISE today. And so when we talk about rebranding, you know, I cannot even begin to imagine how many iterations probably you have went through over the past one and a half yeah, years. Yeah, like yeah. my question in my head right now is how did you settle for this one? You know, there's tons of things, right? So what are some of the things that you used to measure and finally settle for this one? So, you know, if you go back to that thing, like concept versus making it real were the two fundamental phases. It took a while to get to that concept, uh, about three months, you know, talking to customers, getting to understand people. But once we had it, we were like, yes, that's it. And then, but we knew it didn't really work in a lot of instances. So most of it was really just about, you know, making it work. For example, uh, the tapestries, which are those big graphical elements, they were a bit sketchy at the start to say the least, they weren't very good. And, uh, but we loved the idea. So we, we had this phrase, which was review for potential over perfection, which was all about come in and say, you know, oh, this isn't perfect, but I think it could be really good. So we just gave things the time and the space to, to really get them to where they needed to be. And I think generally as a, as a leader, when something's done, you know, you kind of just know, you get an instinct and an intuition for it. So, yeah, there's, there's bits we want to continue improving, but I think 
uh, most of it was taking this big concept and then figuring out how to actually deliver on that and how we can deliver on that at our scale. Well, I really love what you just mentioned about reviewing for potential and not perfection. And just that, you know, that ambition that you have set up initially, that this theme just keeps repeating itself when you talk about this process. And, you know, I think a lot of us as leaders and just people in companies would start thinking, you know, when is the right time to do a rebrand or redesign? You know, yeah. Wise is an, obviously a very successful company. And so, you know, could you share about, you know, when do you think it's right for companies to really start thinking about redesign or rebranding? Yeah, so I think the most important thing is it can't be designed for design's sake, right? It has to be uh, designed to signal change, to, to drive a strategic shift. For us, you know, this rebrand was really part of that journey I was mentioning earlier around becoming wise. This shift from this very kind of commoditized remittance utility uh, to this feature-rich, you know, international banking alternative. So for me, the work ran deeper. The problems we needed to solve ranged from how we position the account, how we actually express ourselves as this international company, and then on a practical level, how we work in, you know, 170 markets and show up equally well to everyone. So I think, you know, when you look at those problems, they're big, and it's so much more than just a fresh coat of paint. And, you know, the place not to start this is, oh, designers are bored, we need to refresh our system. The place to start this is going, what problems do we need to solve for our business? And how can we use design as a strategic asset to essentially solve those problems? So I think that's why this work was successful, because, you know, it runs deep and it's driving change for WISE among many other products. Wow, that is, that is just incredible, you know. Um... Just so really considering the strategic um, value that it adds to the company and, and to the customers as well is going to be an important part of this process. Now, you mentioned that you worked with Rugged, uh, which is an amazing design studio uh, that helped rebrand. And you were also part of agencies um, before even WISE, you know, happened. And so how was this process like working with a third party? You know, were there any challenges for them or from your perspective as, you know, as someone who has been in agency to actually influence design decisions from the outside, right? Like what, what was the experience working with agencies like from your perspective and, and also, you know, uh, working with Rugged as well? Yeah. Uh, so in short, I don't think much. I think a lot of tech companies have, have built this incorrect perception that it's difficult for agency people to be effective in-house and vice versa, agency people thinking in-house people uh, can't do it. And to be honest, like having played both sides, the difference is, is very minimal. I think what matters most is your skills and expertise, right? How do you influence people? Do you have this high craft bar? Do people like working with you? Um, so those types of things are generally uh, what matters. And I think, you know, somewhere along the way, we've been caught in this false narrative about the differences between both worlds, but Ragged Edge were able to come in and influence, you know, very significant things in our business and i think uh that's just about working as one team versus as seeing us as two separate teams and two sides i i really saw them as an extension of our team and they brought in expertise which we didn't necessarily have at the time and fresh eyes which i think is a is a really valuable thing so yeah the only thing i guess i would encourage for people is you know 
it's easy to add to those walls, but I've seen no connection between, you know, where people have worked and how able, how able they are to deliver in-house versus agency. I think it comes down to, you know, hiring the person and not the logo on a resume at the end of the day. Wow, that, that is a really new insight and a fresh perspective for a lot of people to take away. And I saw on LinkedIn that, you know, just, just from what I'm seeing, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you share a very close relationship with the founder of Rugged Edge. Um, I'm just curious, you know, like what advice would you have uh, to, to companies who are looking to actually outsource certain things to agencies, right? What do they look for? Do they look for close relationships so that, you know, communication becomes easier? I'm curious, what is the number one factor you think that makes an agency and a company's relationship to be successful? Um, I think it probably comes back to the same as if you were hiring someone, right? If you were hiring an individual person, you'd, you know, look at their experience, you'd see if they're, you know, a good fit for the company. And it's no different when you're looking with partners. When we were looking to hire a branding partner, we were essentially looking to extend our team. I think we were really good on the product side of things, but our muscles in the brand space weren't as strong. So, you know, we acknowledged where we were strong, acknowledged where we needed to grow. And that was really the focus of, of how we hired people. So I guess my top tip would be, uh, you know, hire people as an extension of your team as a way to scale up your expertise rather than somebody to just outsource something to because you don't have the time. Um, because I think the relationship is a two-way thing. Oh, thanks for sharing that. So touching a little bit more on hiring, right? I want to go inside your mind as a leader, as a design leader in terms of looking at that. So, you know, reports have shown recently that in the past, especially during the pandemic, you know, startups and companies that are doing uh, remittance services as well as, you know, finance services has increased peer-to-peer. -peer. Uh, companies have just rise up. I'm curious from a, from a design perspective, right? What, and also from a product perspective, what has set Wise apart from its competitors as you guys grow uh, in today's market? Yeah, I think there's a lot, but when I was thinking about this one, there's this phrase we've got, uh, which is called uh, deliberately different, which I think is this perfect encapsulation of WISE versus our competitors. I think what sets us apart is as a company and very much in our DNA, we challenge everything and we're really focused on redesigning the entire system to be in customers' favor, right? No, no company is really thinking about that. They're, they're more focused on the bottom line. I think a great example of that is uh, the new Wise Interest product, right? The easy route to an interest earning current account would be partnering with a bank and passing that, you know, earning directly onto customers. But instead, uh, Christo, who's kind of the brainchild of this product said, well, what do the banks do? <laughs> if we gave our money to a bank, what would they do with it? And it turns out they put their money in, in government bonds. So we basically built a system which allows customers to directly access what the banks do. And now people can you know, invest in 100% government backed assets uh, through WISE. So that's really inventing a new system and challenging the foundations of something. So I think at the end of the day, our decision to do things differently is, is going to be the moat because you know that infrastructure, that uh, experience is ultimately what's going to put customers in our space and, and make them choose us versus another partner. Well, I, I had goosebumps when you actually talk about changing the process and questioning what the banks would do if you were to give them the money. Because 
look, you know, we're just working in bigger companies. People are afraid and just intuitively not wanting to challenge the existing status quo. And here at WISE, it seems like the culture is just really thinking differently and just looking from a different perspective. Like from your, from your, from where you're sitting as a leader, right? What do you think contributed to this culture? How, how can people foster such a culture where, you know, uh, people think differently and think to innovate things rather than just keep things the way that it is? You know, how, how did this culture come about and, and what do you think are some factors to foster it? Yeah, to be honest, I don't think it necessarily came from me. Uh, I, I think that would be rude to take credit for it. I think it came from the founding team and that founding group, which is, if you look at the history of WISE and, and why it started, uh, it was a lot of people just saying like, why am I getting ripped off, right? It was around 2008, we were in the midst of the banking crisis and people had essentially tanked the economy and then given themselves big bonuses. So the company started with that very much challenger spirit of saying, well, we, maybe we don't need to do things this way. We can kind of cut them out. And we were able to do that with our transfer product and figure out a way to move money across the world transparently and at a fraction of the cost. And what we're really trying to do now with our account is bring the same challenger spirit into the way we look at product and the way we think about design more generally and essentially, you know, challenge the foundations of the system and, and really rethink uh, what an international account should look like and work like. Thanks for sharing that, Kim. And when we talk about, you know, just this uh, process of thinking uh, differently and just this whole process of launching a product, um, you know, there's this saying in the design industry very often that designers don't get enough voice or don't get the seat on the table when it comes to decision making yeah. and, and product building process, right? I, I'm curious, like, you know, how far reaching is design in a company like WISE where, where, where you're working right now versus compared to maybe other companies that, that you have set in? Um, yeah, it's, it's very far reaching design, but almost intimidatingly slow. I think intimidating so sorry uh but i think the important thing is you know where are we putting our limited resources because we can't you know use design everywhere otherwise i think previously uh design was much more of a service 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 um, <laughs> work is done and the question was hey can you please make this look good Whereas now I think we're shifting much more towards a strategic asset, which is really where I want us to be. And doing that takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of trust building, but we're really heading in the right direction. And I think our reach and our influence is, is now in the right places because we are there to unblock and solve these big problems, which we face as a business. You know, I'd like to see us use our strong design system and tooling to cover a lot of the long tail of those problems and then spend our time working where our impact is going to be greatest to customers and really using design to help drive a lot of these, you know, big questions and challenges we're going to face as a business uh, in the right direction. And yeah, not all of them are design problems, but I know there's a, a large amount which design can definitely help with. Thanks for sharing that, Kim. And, you know, when we when you talk about design processes and just you know, uh, really operating with different stakeholders in this through whole process. WISE is an extremely global company. Today, it's in many different markets, you know, even as a Singapore company, 80 places using on WISE. And a lot of my our friends are as well. You know, how do you maintain, you know, what are some of the operating principles that you have to actually maintain and anchor the work and these processes? Because 
the bigger the team gets, the more chaotic certain processes could get, right? So as a design director at WISE, how do you ensure that things are coherent in a company through these processes and what are some of the operating principles behind them? Um, yeah, it's a really good one. So there's no like silver bullet per se. I think as a design, if the, if there is a silver bullet and you're listening to this, other design leaders out there, please reach out to us. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's just a journey, I guess, because everyone's always trying to make this perfect process and this perfect way to communicate. And I personally believe it doesn't really exist. I think it's always going to be a learning curve. We're hiring at such a rate. If you solve something for today, you know, 20 more people have joined by next week. So you, you need to redo it again. Um, but I think probably one of the most conscious decisions is our investment in design ops. You know, design ops seems like to some um, a difficult thing to get buy-in from, from stakeholders. But, you know, when you think about it, if you're a designer and you spend 30% of your time, 40% of your time organizing and figuring out processes, I think that's a massive mistake because it's not what you're best at. And if that is what you're best at, you should go work in design ops, not design, right? Um, so we've really put a big emphasis on that. And what we've seen um, is you know, particularly at the IC level, uh, people are just getting more space to do the work. Uh, one of the saddest things I noticed when I first joined was ICs would just be in meetings all the time and not actually have time to get the actual work done. So investments in things like design ops have helped us reduce uh, people's commitment to meetings and just created more space for them to do the actual work. Well, th thanks for sharing about this design ops, you know, hiring, um, because there's not a lot of companies with that, frankly, especially companies that are growing extremely fast. It's something that they seem to have missed along the way. Now, I want to talk a little bit about sort of like going into this uh, hiring, right? Just because we're talking about, you know, having design ops on the team. Uh, you know, could you share a little bit more about how WISE hires for designers, right? Because what we have observed from an external point of view is that WISE seems to hire probably like the industry best designers, right? And, and I think no one has really quite understood the process behind the scenes. If you could share a little bit of some uh, things that WISE look out for, you know, in order to hunt this talent, right? Uh, you know, what are some of the things that would indicate that, hey, they're they a great fit and they're a great talent for the team? Uh, could you share a little bit more on that? Yeah. Um, so I think the most important thing to recognize, right, is if you're going for that top percentage of designers, most of those people can work anywhere they want. So if you if you take that as 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 reality number one, the problems you need to solve and the way you need to approach it uh, changes quite drastically. So much more of our role there is, you know, subtly assessing whether people can meet the requirements of the job, but actually spending a lot of time selling them on why they should pick wise. So you know the amount of uh, I'll call them chemistry meetings and LinkedIn messages and just general networking, which I do. And just, you know, building a community who are people who know of WISE or might be interested in WISE is, is, you know, staggering. And all of the other design leaders do the same amount of stuff. So I think that's probably the key, which is just, you know, starting the conversations early with people, accepting that hiring doesn't take a quarter. It takes years. You know, literally someone I hired or two people I hired recently I looked at LinkedIn and my first message to them was uh, over about a year and a half ago. I literally sent the messages in my first uh, month at WISE being like, hey, I think we've got something good here. Do you want to chat? 
and it didn't work out that first time but then they came back around and joined us so yeah I think that's the main thing is just you know patience and then making sure that you're playing the dating game because you know that's that small pool of talent is can kind of work wherever they want so you really need to sell them on why they should pick wise versus some other big name company and I think as a result of that we've really crafted uh, how we pitch people and how we talk about our work and uh, created a environment which appeals to people who just want to come and make really good work. Well, I really love what you just mentioned about, you know, hiring is a dating process. It's not just a one quarter or two quarter. It could take years. And 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 as you mentioned, you know, the message that you sent was about a year or two back right now. And it's yeah. just, it's just, you know, incredible how this process runs out. So let's touch a little bit about, you know, when we talk about hiring, about leadership style, right? Yep. You know, so you're a leader in the industry. You've been here for, you know, uh, uh, many years right now. And so one of the things that we always, you know, uh, look at leaders and, and, and ask ourselves, you know, what, how is this leader leading a team? And, and, and what, what this team is able to produce mostly is also because it's influenced or inspired by their leader. And so I'm curious as to, because Wise have achieved so many things ever since you joined as well, um, you know, and you led the rebranding exercise here. How would you describe your leadership and collaboration style to be like, you know, everyone has different, but I'd love to hear your perspective on your own personal style and what has worked for you. I, I guess ambitious, I think is probably, if I was to use a single word, you know, at the end of the day, I just want to make really good work with really good people. And I think if I was to leave wise, I hope the one thing I'd be recognized for was, you know, ambition. I think I'm always most energized and hyped when I'm in a meeting and, and I leave and just feel like the team is really pushing it. And, uh, you know, they've, they've done what's expected and they've done the kind of, uh, the best practice. And then they put that to one side and started figuring out how they can, reinvent something and push it uh further so yeah I, I think that's it and i think we've made good progress i've actually got this interesting anecdote which is when i first started wise i met with all of the designers as you do and um or at least on my team and i was asking them this question which was like what work from wise would you put in your portfolio and you know in a next job interview and almost everyone said on oh, nothing and i reflected on it i was like that is so sad because if your work doesn't inspire you, like how on earth do you expect it to inspire a customer, right? Um, and then now when I ask the same question, people list off projects they're proud of, right? And it doesn't mean that every project needs to be this big rebrand. You know, there's still a lot of projects which are very small, but people are really proud of how they execute the small things as well as the big things. Um, you know, for example, one of our designers has done some amazing work around just product quality and just shipped a ton of updates, which in aggregate are, are really changing the product. And those types of things are really just, you know, finding passionate people and uh, making them think big and be ambitious and, and execute really well. Wow, like just the one single word ambitious and it really speaks volume of your leadership, being able to inspire. And, you know, it's something that came across my mind is like, you're like a Santa Claus leader that gives someone a gift for them to take home um, to, <laughs> to their portfolio or to their next job, which is incredible. We we rarely come across people like you. So thank you for sharing that. And, you know, you have also spent a lot of time as a lecturer and a mentor, right? To many different designers and people. What, you, what, what would you say in today's industry, in today's design industry is 
the most commonly overlooked skill? It could be one, it could be two, but would love to hear your your thoughts on this, right? What are some of the really commonly overlooked skill? Oh, this is easy. Um, design. Literally, wow. Yeah, <laughs> literally, our first principle in our org is be a designer. That's literally our first design principle. And there's a lot of meaning behind it. But I think at, at our most basic level, I think it's very easy to can neglect your core responsibility, which is design. And particularly on more junior uh, designers, I've seen, a, you know, it's much easier to teach skills like product thinking, how to work with data, shaping good design process. The stuff which is more difficult to teach is things like visual design, interaction design. So, you know, if you nail those things, I think you'll find getting a job much easier. And, and when I pull back to it, it's just what I would categorize like the hard skills of design is what's neglected most, right? Um, I can't. Um, I can't even. Just, I couldn't even count how many portfolios uh, we've opened, and have literally failed down because and um, said no to because of, you know, overly dense copy that it's almost impossible to read. Pixelated assets, right? These are the basics which I think you just have to get right as a designer. And I was talking to someone last week and trying to figure out an analogy for this, and it's and it's the shop window analogy, right? Um, unless you're like super hipster and you love sitting on like a barrel in a restaurant and that vibe appeals to you. But if you walked past a shop window and it looked messy, you know, there was a bunch of copy on the front door, the, the, the window wasn't well organized and you didn't understand what the shop did, you wouldn't walk in and go inside and portfolios are no different. And I think, you know, too often people don't think enough about how do I get these basics of design skills nailed in my portfolio um, so that I can just, you know, start the next bit of conversation. So, yeah, I think that's definitely the most overlooked thing. And then the other thing which I whenever I'm talking to students, I always just say, like, just ask people and um, you'd be amazed at how many people don't ask um, and just say, hey, can I chat to you? Can I have some, you know, experience or if you've got any internships available and you know nine times out of ten it's the people who pluck up the courage to write that linkedin message that uh you know get the role so i would say just ask and focus on those core skills of just being a designer well i i couldn't agree more with the two of these um especially the first one where you know there's just a rise of bootcamp graduates from in design and just amount of portfolio that looks the same and go through the same processes and just doesn't have the right fundamentals. Just, you know, it's extremely blowing the industry away. And when you talk about asking questions as well, you know, it reminded me of, you know, this saying that a mentor shared, shared and be like, you know, what is the worst thing you, it, that could happen if you ask for something, right? The worst yeah. thing is no, and you just move on, right? And so yeah. really always ask for it. That's the power of asking. Uh, and thanks for sharing that, Cam. And so- With the process- You know, I, I want to- oh, sorry. I was going to say, with, yeah, the, go for it. with the process stuff as well, right? Um, particularly from boot camps, like we know how the sausage gets made, right? That's our job. <laughs> so so telling us like you went through like these four phases is, is pointless because <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I know. Um, so if anyone's listening to this, just like less, less process and post-it notes, more product. That would be my top tip. Wow, I, I, I couldn't agree more with that uh, because we're hiring ourselves as well and, you know, I'm going through the same process. Thanks for sharing that, Ken. <laughs> and, and, and so, you know, folks listening to, to this right now and just really 
also looking at your career, right? Um, thinking, how can I have a career like, like, like Cameron, you know, from Wise to Apple to Twitter and many more. If you can think of one habit that contributed to your success, what would that be? Um, I, I, I think it's difficult to say, right? Because I don't. Number one, I I still think I've got a long way to grow in my career, and I still think I've got lots of lots to learn. So I wouldn't necessarily, or I hope at least, I'm not at my end state. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I guess it's a difficult thing to say. I think, um, yeah, if it was to draw back to everything, it's probably my my style and the fact that I, I like being really ambitious I think throughout my career I've just tried to make decisions uh based on you know where can I make the best work and and how can I build teams which can make the best work so I think that's probably the principle which is most important but I'd also say like there's definitely moments in my career where I've felt you know like it's going sideways maybe even not being happy with some of the pieces or the projects and that's kind of natural. I think it's easy to, you know, look at the high of things like a rebrand and suddenly and the stuff we've been able to do at Wise and think it's this perfectly straight line. And to be honest, it's not. And it won't ever be a straight line from here on out as I go into my next phase. So, yeah, I guess, you know, just keep at it, keep working and make great work. And eventually it will click. It might take a, a day. It might take 10 years. But I think that's just a philosophy more generally in life, to be honest. Right. Thanks for thanks for sharing that. Um, you know, the the word ambitious just keeps coming up as a theme of your personality and just the way that you lead teams as well and how you contributed to design. So you know, it's so clear uh, to me. And you know, I just have one fun question because before we we, we close up with with the, final, with the final segment. So I recently saw a LinkedIn post. I'm not sure if it's on Twitter as well, where someone had interviewed at Wise, I believe, and. And they were going through this fanboy, fangirl moment with you and say, wow, I interviewed with, with, with Cameron, uh, you know, or I showed my work to, to Cameron and, you know, took a screenshot and, and posting there. And oh, yeah, obviously yeah. your fame, your claim to fame in the industry has since rose a lot, a lot ever since the rebrand of, of Wise, right? Like, you know, do, do people ever feel intimidated when, when they go into an interview room with you, knowing that you're the, you're, you're the leader behind, you know, such big project? advice um i hope not <laughs> probably <laughs> now that you said that but like you know it's, it's my five minutes of fame it's not it's not um you know there's going to be many more projects which are even bigger than the rebrand after it i i honestly think as a yeah. design org at wise like we're just getting started i think what was cool about that particular story was somebody saw the design system and then took the time to rebuild it and then like you like we were talking about earlier they took a chance and and shared that on linkedin and when i was talking to her she told me that a lot of people discouraged her from actually doing that and they were worried about us suing them or you know lawyers coming after them for for intellectual property rights but at the end of the day like she was just doing it to learn and she shared it and then I connected her with her and then she's connected with somebody else in my team who's helped coach her on how to build it a bit better um, from like a component structure standpoint. So I think just like take a shot and 
hopefully I'm not intimidating because honestly, this is five minutes of fame. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, I, I don't, I'm not necessarily comfortable doing it either. I quite like my uh, quiet life where I just make cool work and, uh, <laughs> and continue and hire cool people. So yeah, I'd say just like take a shot and um, definitely, you know, feel free to reach out, you know, these people at the end of the day who you've admired are just human. Um, an interesting thing was when we were interviewing for our VP of design. So Josh joined as our VP of design and uh, I looked at, you know, the candidate list and it was like so many people I'd admired my whole career and some of them I'd met, some of them I hadn't. And then you meet these people and I was taking notes frantically uh, in the interview process, but also just so I could like steal their ideas. But also, um, the more you talk to them, you realise they're just humans. You know, everyone's just a human at the end of the day. And, you know, it's it's a relatively simple path. And if you just make good work, that's how they got there. They were in the right place at the right time and made great work. And, and there they are. Wow, Cameron, thanks for sharing. And, you know, it's really such a pleasure to, you know, meet a leader like you who is opening up himself and, you know, sort of like your, your space and just sharing your knowledge online with, with everyone around the world, which, which is really inspiring. And everything that we do here in AD Please is to help people to learn better as well. And, you know, we have reached our final segment and I want to ask you a few questions uh, to end off. But the first, first one is really to close off today's uh, conversation is what are you know, do you have any closing thoughts for the audience who are listening, uh, whether it be from a design perspective or from a career or leadership perspective as well? Uh, what are the closing thoughts for the audience that, that you might have? I think, I think probably the biggest thing which I'd stress is, you know, don't stress about landing that big gig or getting that fang on your resume. Um, the great thing about design is it's very much an equalizer. Uh, if somebody's great at design, you know they can show you in the output they produce and the product they're able to build. Whether it's a you know ten thousand person company, ten thousand person company you did that at, or it's a small startup which you've launched yourself. So, yeah, I think my closing audience would be closing thought would be just focus on you know getting as good as you can from a technical standpoint, from a skill set standpoint. And making great work and you know your dream job will eventually land uh, whatever that may be and the grass is always greener so things aren't always perfect at big tech or small tech or startups so yeah don't be disheartened just keep hustling i guess thanks for that cam and so i always put my audience through what we call the lightning round with some with free fun questions so you you know you just yeah listen to the question and you just try to un answer that as quickly as possible all right let's do it. you ready yeah yeah let's go awesome so do you prefer texting or talking on phone texting texting what is your favorite day of the week <laughs> um I, I think probably mondays <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, yeah. I, I wasn't expecting that. No one would expect that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why? Just, just curious. Why? Why Monday? I love my job. I feel very lucky to do what I do. So I enjoy showing up on a Monday. Okay. Awesome. So every anyone listening to this, you know, if you love Mondays, you probably love your job. And, yeah. and the last one. <laughs> what is the last song you downloaded on your phone? I I guess I don't download music, um, but uh, I guess. I think the last downloaded songs probably like, I don't even know, like paid for a download or. Or like just, just listen on Spotify. 
Just, oh, okay. Okay, yeah. Thinking. I thought you meant like go back into my iTunes back catalogue and online <laughs> and see uh, what's what's there. Um, I think probably it's really cheesy, but I watched that uh, Lewis uh, Capaldi documentary and and we just listened to his songs because I'd never really listened to him before. So Netflix introduced me to him and some really awesome stuff about you know mental health and stuff like that in there. So uh, I can't remember what the song is, but it was uh, some of uh, Lewis Capaldi's latest tracks. Wow, I really love his song as well. Thanks for sharing that, Kemp. And so finally, where can people find you? Where can people find you online? Uh, I guess LinkedIn's probably the best. I don't I do not do Twitter um, or, you know, my Instagram is just for life outside work. So I'd say uh, LinkedIn's best place to find me. And then um, feel free to slide in to be a message, add me. I'm happy to chat. And yeah. All right. Yeah, shoot your shot, everyone. And uh, finally, what what is the next big exciting thing that you're going to work on or that you're working on uh, personally, professionally, uh, that you want people to know about? Ooh, um, I guess inside of work, we've got a lot of really, really exciting uh, projects uh, which are on the horizon. So obviously that Wise Interest product is growing like crazy. So we're really excited to start shaping that as a core part of the account, which I'm really excited for. And then outside of work, uh, my focus, I obviously previously did a lot of advisory work. so. Now um, I'm kind of getting back into that and thinking about how we can um, help more talent get into our industry and, and nail those next big jobs. So I'll be doing a little bit on ADP list more and uh, yeah, just really excited for what's around the corner. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's such a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. You're a great interviewer and honestly, so happy with everything ADP List is doing. I, I think your impact to the industry is going to be uh, pretty wild in the long term.